This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier. I'm the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the largest woman-owned and woman-led advertising and communications firm in Southern California. And at Frazier, we focus in on changing behavior to grow brands and to impact society in very positive ways. We do this with private and public sector. And most recently, we've been working with the Department of Public Health in L.A. County to help with messaging around coronavirus. We have been sharing messages about how to protect yourself and to better understand the spread of COVID-19. But on today's show, I want to talk about two individuals that have really stepped up in the midst of the growing fears and the concerns and the spread of COVID-19. They have developed a special app that I would want them to talk about, and I'd love to have you all learn more about the app and the portal. But first, let me bring them on to the show. They started a program called Shared Harvest Fund. It was started by three women community center from community-based doctors who've witnessed the negative physical and mental consequences that financial issues and financial debt have on people. And they have an amazing commitment to serve the community. And as a result of that commitment, they started Shared Harvest. So let me introduce the two founders, Shared Harvest founder, emergency medicine physician, Nana Atufnanan, and the co-founder of Shared Harvest, another emergency medicine physician, Brianna DeQueer. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you for having us. Well, I'm delighted to have you here, and I'm fascinated by how you started Shared Harvest. Tell me the history and why you formed it. Uh, Sure. This is Brianna. Um, Shared Harvest was started by myself, Nana, and another one of our friends, Joanne, uh, after all going to medical school together, and, and just sort of witnessing both uh, personally as professionals in medicine and also through the patients we were seeing in the in our respective practices uh, that were being burdened by student loan debt. Um, these are successful people who have talent and professional skills that felt trapped in, in, in working in, in sometimes in fields that they didn't really feel fulfilled. Um, we also, in our private lives, uh, working with the nonprofit sector, saw that there was a great need in the use of people who had a lot of these professional talents that they didn't feel that they were putting to good use. So we figured, why not marry the two? Why not leverage the professional talents of these individuals who were looking to use their skills in a more meaningful way and use that to help fulfill some of the, the gaps? Uh, in, in professional services that existed in the nonprofit sector. The way we wanted to do that is just looking at um, having uh, their, their employers and uh, both the nonprofit community come together and sort of buy into the, this harvest model of everyone chipping in together so that we can all find a way to supplement these volunteers who are giving back their time to the community. So when the volunteers give back their time, their student debt is paid down over time? How does that work? Uh, so, so it's a it's a model that works where we have the employers who uh, have the volunteers who are u- using their professional time in the community uh, to give back, and they supplement their student loan debt relief. Uh, so, sort of student loan debt repayments in exchange for professional uh, services that they provide to nonprofit to the nonprofit sector to various right. organizations. Where, where has this uh, worked best? Let's give us some examples, if you would, Brianna. So, so where we've seen this work best um, is uh, is when we have uh, people, let's say uh, one of the, the most popular things that we've had done is having professional 
working on their websites, let's say. You know, oh, you have, yes, uh, developers um, and webmasters, right? Sorry, the, 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 the word was escaping me. Yes, uh, webmasters and, and web developers. You have, you know, smaller nonprofits that really need to help draw businesses, draw, um, draw funding, draw new board members to the missions that they're doing and really need to set up a site, let's say, um, to make it more appealing and more attractive to get the word out. And so just re- revamping their website. Grant writing was another big one, obviously, as you can imagine, for nonprofit uh, uh, organizations. So these are some of the things that some of our professional volunteers have been able to do. I like that a lot. You know, ironically enough, before we focused in on COVID-19, we did a whole series on aging. And one of the things we emphasized is how we can deploy older folks to go back into, especially the nonprofit world. There are a couple of uh, nonprofit organizations. Uh, Empower.org is one of them that identifies uh, opportunities in nonprofits doing very similar work, not usually designing websites, <laughs> but help helping with finances infrastructure operations and things of that nature. So it makes a lot of sense. I think uh, people can uh, can certainly uh, benefit from not just giving their services, but feeling like they're driven by purpose, right? They're feeling like they're connecting with the nonprofit. And I'm sure uh, I know for younger people, having purpose is so important in their lives. So congratulations on creating a program that, you know, meets so many, so many goals and really a win-win situation. Exactly. Now, part of the uh, Shared Harvest, I came in contact with you when uh, uh, a proposal was shared with the Women Founders Network, which I'm a part of, and that's a group of women who try to service and help educate as well as invest in women founders, and most of those are for-profit organizations. So when this proposal came forward, it was unusual, and we have been in this space, as I mentioned, for the L.A. Department of Public Health, helping to build awareness and learning about COVID-19 efforts throughout the county. One of the efforts I know they were switching over was telehealth, being able to use phones and other means, computers to access people, particularly given the size of this uh, terrible epidemic that we're facing. So I was very intrigued, uh, Anana. Dr. Afun Manan, can you tell us more about why you developed with your team the MD app and uh, the online portal? Yes, um, thank you. The reason why we uh, developed the app is we really saw a gap when we started working more um, on the front lines in the emergency department. You know, with Shared Harvest, we've always said that we wanted to create some kind of example in the private sector of a national service plan where people are not deployed for years and years, but maybe every once in a while they can do some service work, and that builds upon a nonprofit mission. Um, and, of course, coming to um, my background also, in addition to being in medicine, I uh, have a background and degree in public health, so there's always this two lens I look at the world and how I treat my patients and then how I treat the population. And when um, COVID-19 came and hit, I saw really quickly how um, the surge capacity was going to collapse our healthcare system. And the reason why is we have two parallel health systems, um, healthcare systems because we don't have a national health strategy. And so everyone is dependent on the hospital and the emergency department has something called Antala. Antala requires that we see everybody, no matter who they are, and provide them basic medical um, uh, care until they're stable. 
And so because of that, it's become the healthcare safety net and the medical home for a lot of people who are underinsured and non-insured. So you run into a case where you have a national public health crisis and you don't have a national public health plan. And those who are underinsured, non-insured are running to the only medical home that they know and we're telling them not to come. So where are those people? And on a personal level, it just hit my soul because I'm a physician and I want to help all my patients. But I also understand with this crisis, um, the more people come to the hospital, the greater risk it is to those who are most sick um, and the capacity to serve those who are sick. And so after grappling with this and talking to my dear colleagues, um, my COVID MD came in as if everything we know about population health and getting into the communities and starting everything grassroots works. And we learned about it in HIV, we learned about it um, in a, a various other population study diseases and how we were able to control it. Now we're in a, a time where technology is there. So we can virtualize that whole system and telehealth has allowed us to do that. Um, and everyone knows it exists and it works, but it's only working right now. Um, and those who have insurance are being able to leverage it. But there is no pipeline for those who don't. And so that's where uh, my COVID MD came in to fill in that pipeline gap. Let me, let me talk about that for just a moment. We have uh, done some work with Anthem and HealthNet. And you're right, within those systems, they have a telemedicine approach. You can pay a certain amount and you can access a doctor via your phone. And very often you, you could FaceTime or Skype with the doctor so they could see your physical symptoms and your presence, of course. So what you're saying is how do we take that to a more underserved population so they too have access to a doctor? So with this app, people can actually speak to a healthcare professional. Tell us how it works. Yeah. So just like the model in the emergency department, we have a triage system. Um, but in communities, um, in closed-in communities, the triage system is your friends, your family, your church, um, the, um, the network that you, the, the local community organization that you're affiliated with. And so we use that model to look at what we call community health partners. And those are the CHPs. Those are the triagers. And what it happens is the individual um, downloads the app and um, fills a profile. And that profile is matched by a CHP, which is someone who is, can relate to them from those indicators that they did in the profile. And that person is able to just say, hey, how are you doing? Um, what symptoms do you have? What other problems are you having? What questions do you have that you haven't had answered? And then that CHP is then able to, based on those answers, triage them into our eMERGE um, partner, um, eMERGE Telemedicine, um, which are already pre-assigned um, emergency care providers um, that we just schedule the appointments right there. And our guarantee is that we can schedule an appointment within 15 minutes if someone needs a telemedicine screening. Wow. And on top of wow. that, if they don't, because um, and uh, if they don't, um, need an actual doctor that they need to see. What we do know very well is from a biopsychosocial standpoint is that they may need mental health services or they may need social support um, right. or they just need someone to sit and meditate with them, right? Mm -hmm. So what we've been able to do with, is galvanize these clusters of what we call COVID clinics and those appointments can be made 
through this pipeline in within 15 minutes as well. And so the, the most important thing is the CHP becomes your crisis buddy. That's the person that is going to follow up after that call with a text notification. How are you doing? Get those ideas out. As we have more information from our local government about changes, those, in, those are the individuals that are going to text our users to say, did you hear the mayor said, you know, the quarantine's extended, you know, but just keep them in the loop. Mm-hmm. And then, then the last thing that we're doing is um, what we call community pop-up, um, uh, pop-up um, drive-through testing, because there is this nuance here in medicine that, you know, if you don't, if you're not going to treat white tests, um, and if you are doing any harm by testing, if you don't have a, treat, uh, a treatment option. Right. But for communities that are disenfranchised and marginalized, the biggest threat to them is dishonest information or lack of information. Mm-hmm. And so they hold to the fact, it, no matter what, if they got an opportunity to get tested, they would feel like they have some security as to where they stand. No matter what I tell them about the value of that test, it doesn't matter to them. They just want to know if they're positive or negative. And so we want to meet communities at where are they, where they're at, so we can we can help them get to where we all want to go. I love that idea. I mean, I think we we talk about this a great deal in our health work. You have to meet people where they are and be at. Uh, be able to talk to them the way they want to be spoken with, with true, uh, honest, practical information and transparent. Mm-hmm. You know, before we talk more about the app itself and the portal, I'd like to get a perspective from both of you on what you're seeing in emergency rooms related to COVID-19. Brianna, could you give us your your thoughts on that and what you're observing? Sure. And, and my situation here um, in the Illinois surrounding, uh, Chicago and Illinois surrounding area maybe a little bit different than what Nana is seeing there in California, which is a lot more heavily affected. So I'll let her speak to that. But um, in the, in the week prior to this one, what we have been seeing uh, mainly is a lot of people, essentially the exact people that Nana was mentioning are people who just really want to be tested and know where they stand. I want, they want to know, can I go home to my infant? Can I go home to my grandmother uh, mm-hmm. who also has COPD? Uh, how do I know that this is just still a cold or when I had pneumonia last month, maybe that was COVID. So just a lot of uh, reassurance. And this is where the mental health and the wellness piece have to come in here because a lot of the hysteria is, is, is and, and the misinformation is causing a lot of unnecessary hysteria. Um, what that will turn into and what this past week has been spent on is preparing uh, the emergency departments for the surge that we expect to happen as we're starting to see now in New York, in California, and we've unfortunately been seeing how that's played out in Italy. So uh, a lot of uh, uh, places that I'm working um, and also, you know, where Nana's working and really emergency departments and hospitals all over the country right now are preparing because we have not seen the worst of it yet. Um, oh, yeah, right. That, we can really you know, continue to see it grow. And Nana, what about your experience in Los Angeles? You're in the San Fernando Valley, correct? Um, I'm in the Los Angeles County uh, and San Fernando. I work both because of the right now the, the low number of emergency doctors. Um, there's just a huge need for us to cross hospitals and um, fill in where there is a need. Um, but what and to speak what Brianna was saying, I think um, the one thing that I'm noticing and I'm seeing is that you know coronavirus is a community acquired infection. But we are, our approach to solution is a hospital-centered approach. 
And it, the way it really needs to happen is in order to um, decompress what's happening at the hospital, we need to get further out to the communities before they get to the hospital. And so mm-hmm. that is something that is where the monies and where the resources really need to be at is educating the community, letting them know who's going to get sick, even if you get it, why is it okay that you have it, and when is it not okay that you have it. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversations about ventilators, and we need this, and PPEs, and all that, and we do need that. Why? Because we haven't done a thorough job in working with the community, so we, left, we get less of that volume. So the ramping up is because we're, we're still working with this narrow pipeline, and of course, if we don't have enough people talking in the community and figuring out how we can manage it outside of the hospital, we are going to get this huge influx. I remember um, when we were doing the drive-through um, um, testing a week ago, there was maybe per shift less than a handful. And within a day, that number changed, uh, that number tripled. And then the day after that, we changed, we, 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 Closed out an entire unit of the hospital just to reconfigure it to be a COVID um, area. So mm-hmm. we're seeing, especially in Los Angeles, and now people are being mindful for the self, um, the self um, distancing, and um, and a lot of the mandates happening from the mayor, um, from the mayor um, directly. Right. So it's happening, but what is still not happening is the community education part. And so that's what we well, Nana, let's talk it. about that. I, I want to talk about that further. I think what you're saying is we need to use our community organizations that are trusted in the community, our churches, et cetera, to share with people what the, uh, what the symptoms are, what the reality is, because we know for 80% of the people who, who get COVID-19, who get the virus, they will be fine. It will be a week. It will be uncomfortable. It will be body aches and temperature uh, and coughing, et cetera, but they will get through it. And it is the right. 20% that I think is getting most of the attention, right, the more severe cases. I do want to say as of March 24th in L.A. County, 6,331 people have been tested and 11% were positive. So even with the testing, as you're saying, the likelihood is lower for people than I think they realize. So it's the, it's the um, comfort of knowing that you're saying is really important. And, and tell me more about how you feel the community should be sharing this information. So um, with our pop-up community um, drive-through centers, one of the two things that we hope to achieve with that is exactly that. So churches are where everyone is supposed to come together and compare times and support each other. What we are asking churches to do is allow us to retrofit um, their, their their lot to a drive-through. So imagine oh, their parking lot. That's where the drive-throughs happen. Huh? That's a good idea. Exactly. So we're we are using the in and um, in and out model, um, <laughs> in this, and if in and out can do this every single day and see thousands of people at each location, then a church can open their um, their lot to us, and we can have an organized way of car um, cars coming in and cars coming out. And what people don't understand about how amazing these drive through testing um, capability is is that people stay in their car. You know, mm-hmm. um, they. they Stay in the car. The health provider comes to you in the proper PPE. They take um, a quick um, history. We then swab you. Um, there's new testing now that we also can do as um, significant as uh, a finger prick. 
And um, some of those tests, depending on the tests they're using, we get funding for, they can get um, a 24-hour turnaround or even a 30-minute turnaround, you know? So, and then they go off. They go right right through. And then we plug them into our Emerge TM telehealth. And so no matter what, one of our CHPs contacts them with the results. They also can um, um, look, look at, at the results through the app, the MyCOVIDMD app. But now they're also connected. So then mm-hmm. if they start to have symptoms and you knew you tested negative and you have symptoms, well, yeah, like why well, tested negative? Likelihood that this is COVID is, is not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the social side of things, now you're not saying, um, you know, you can feel a little better about doing a home health wellness check on a friend who's um, sick and shedding. Churches yeah. do that all the time and we've lost that opportunity to do that. So with information, people become much more empowered to feel like they can do more and do the right things. I like this a lot. Is there a place people can go to to find out where these pop-up testing sites will be? They're all going to be posted on the covidmd.org website, um, and you can follow us on Shared Harvest Fund IG. Um, they will be posted on there and on Twitter. Our Shared Harvest Fund handle is Ask the Fund, um, but it is uh, uh, you know COVID, the COVID initiative is a nonprofit initiative, um, and it's through our Shared Harvest Foundation. So. Uh, yeah. So let's let's hear it one more time. It's mycovidmd. Is it dot org? It's covidmd.org. Got it. Covidmd.org. I'm going to give that at the end of the show as well. And then and can they sign up for the app as well? Yes. Yeah, so you sign up on that website for the app, and you can also sign up to be a volunteer. The other arm of this that I we didn't mention. Um, is that we believe in the Shared Harvest model about supporting our volunteers' financial health. So all the volunteers that are part of this, um, we are offering them um, either a student loan reduction or um, funds that are deposited to an emergency savings account. And that is going to be a sponsor of one of our financial institutions. So um, you can sign up to be a volunteer or you can sign up to um, get the information when the app drops. And, um, yeah, so it's a website. That's great. really, really wonderful. I I, want to ask you one question, Brianna, and then we'll have one more after that. These volunteers is an essential part of Shared Harvest. Can you share with us how that's worked within the work you do in Chicago? Sure. So our volunteers um, come from all over. I mean, this specific, um, this specific, my COVID MD is starting. Uh, it's an initial site there in the Los Angeles area, but we're hoping to branch out shortly in, in Illinois. So we're gonna we're gonna need um, volunteers from everywhere, essentially, yes. because we know that this is a national problem. So yes, um, that's right. And they will benefit. Yeah. You know, I think it's important to try to get people lined up in advance, even and. Outreach for volunteers is important. Is there a way you find volunteers typically? Do you, is there a digital approach? Are you working through out, uh, outlets in the community or schools? Yes, yeah, so we have, we're connected to the COVID-19 um, emergency response. There's, uh, there's several um, task force. There are um, health providers and non-health providers. There are technical providers. There's a beautiful community online that are just ready to be activated. So we have been posted through that. And then because of our already affiliation to the nonprofits, our nonprofits are announcing it through their newsletters and people are reading newsletters these days. Yeah. <laughs> and then, 
about about twenty twenty percent twenty five percent are opening them and reading them. Exactly. <clears throat> You're right, especially these days. I think people are so concerned. I will say, you know, uh, digital has gone up by twenty two percent. Uh, wow. since the announcement of the uh, of COVID-19 and coronavirus. So people are turning to Facebook and digital for content more than ever, and their news radio stations, it seems. Yeah. yeah. And we took a, um, uh, some advice from you, actually, because there are, even though digital has gone up, there are still a marginal percentage of population who are just out and about trying to get their groceries, and right. um, we're just, you know, we're... Um, pounding the pavement at the grocery stores and letting them know um, that we are there, we exist. A lot of people have phones, but not everyone has a smartphone. We have an audio versus a, a live video option for connecting. That's great. Yes, I had suggested they do posters and handouts because I think some of the disenfranchised, you're right, they may not have a smartphone, but they want to have access to the information. Also, I find when it's a paper, sometimes it gets shared by other people in the household, you know, and there's like, hey, did you hear about this? So it's a good way to get a conversation going. And we know in the health model, you know, as we go through uh, pre-contemplation, contemplation, taking action, discussion is really a key factor. Well, listen, we're going to have to wind down the interview. I want to thank both of you for creating Shared Harvest Found. I think about the fund. I think it's a wonderful opportunity. And my COVID uh, MD, I think, is so important. COVID MD, the My COVID MD app is important for people. And COVIDMD.org is where people can turn to find out about these pop-up testing sites. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. The emergency medicine physician, Nana Afu Menon, and her co-founder of, Har- of Shared Harvest, another emergency doctor, Brianna DeQueer. Thank you, Dr. DeQueer. Thank you, Nana, Dr. Afu Menon. I very much appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. I wanted to remind you, Fraser Communications is a full-service advertising and communications firm. If you'd like information about how we can help your business, go to FraserCommunications.com. This is Renee Fraser, the CEO. Listen to The Deciders next Saturday, and you can find our podcast of the radio shows we've been running available at FraserCommunications.com. Have a wonderful week ahead. Thank you again for listening to The Deciders with Renee Fraser. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions.